four-part series on the concept of intelligence on the next Radio Lab. Wednesday at 1 on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Good evening. Welcome to the local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. We've got a lot of news from Pennsylvania coming up tonight. Lawmakers are restructuring a utility law for the first time in a decade, and that has implications for both consumers and utility owners. Also, PA State Senator Doug Mastriano, who also ran for governor in Pennsylvania in 2022, is the subject of an ethics complaint due to his connection to the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, including alleged efforts to aid that attack. Spotlight PA reporter Stephen Caruso is covering both these stories. He'll join us later in the program. But first up, what do New Yorkers think of their governor? And what do they think of their president? Well, a new Siena College poll finds that Governor Kathy Hochul has her highest numbers in nearly a year, while President Joe Biden has fallen to a new low in blue New York. Karen DeWitt has more. The poll offers a mixed bag for Hochul, who's been in office for two and a half years. Her job performance rating is above 50 percent, and more people view her favorably than unfavorably. But Siena's Steve Greenberg says New Yorkers don't have a lot of faith in the governor's abilities to tackle major problems that she's identified facing the state, including addressing the affordable housing crisis, improving public safety, and making New York the AI capital of the world. We also asked about five of the issues that she has made part of her mainstay is in, in her governorship. And she's talked a lot about it over the last two years and a lot over the last few weeks as part of her State of the State tour. And on all five of those issues, a plurality or majority of voters do not think she will make progress this year on those issues. The poll also gives a first look in 2024 at where New Yorkers stand on the presidential race. In a state that has twice as many registered Democrats as Republicans, President Joe Biden's favorability rating is underwater, with 53 percent viewing him negatively compared to 43 percent who give him a positive ranking. While 70 percent of Democrats still back Biden and nearly Nearly 90 percent of Republicans don't like him. The key group of independent voters who actually outnumber Republicans in the state also dislike Biden. 71 percent of independents view him favorably and fully three quarters disapprove of his job performance. When it comes to the likely Republican nominee, former President Donald Trump has solidified his base with three quarters of GOP voters in New York saying they want to see Trump become president again. Biden still leads Trump 46 to 37 percent, but Greenberg says that has to be worrisome for Democrats in the state. A Republican has not carried the presidential race in New York in 40 years, four decades since Ronald Reagan won re-election back in 1984. The fact that Joe Biden is only up by nine points now has to be concerning to the Biden camp, to all Democrats in New York who are going to have to run with him as their standard bearer. While the governor's seat is not up for election for two more years, all of the 212 state legislative posts hold contests in November, as well as the state's 26 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. Incumbent U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand is also seeking re-election. Several of the congressional races are expected to be close, and Democrats are seeking to take back four seats that flipped Republican in 2022. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. 
for the New York Public News Network. Thank you, Karen DeWitt. For more on Election 2024, you're going to want to stay with Radio Catskill tonight for live coverage from NPR of the New Hampshire primaries. It's starting at 7, coming up in just less than an hour after the daily. And uh, let's stay on election news for one more story. Something that we're going to be following closely in New York this election year is the redistricting process. Again, New York's congressional maps need to be redrawn after a state court of appeals ruled the maps that were used in the 2022 election cycle were temporary. WRVO's Ava Pukach reports that voting and civil rights groups are calling for transparency in the redistricting process. The group is calling for three things. Open meetings so the public can watch deliberations, conduct all mapping exercises and sessions in public, and hold hybrid hearings across the state. Susan Lerner, the executive director of Common Cause New York, says those hearings are especially important because the previous hearings on the redistricting cycle were two years ago. They were about a different set of circumstances. We're two years down the pike. Things have definitely changed. Um, and uh, relying on comments uh, from uh, that were directed to the old maps doesn't really give you much insight into what's needed in the current situation. Melody Lopez, co-executive director of New York Civic Engagement Table, says the previous dysfunction of the redistricting process has resulted in confusion and mistrust from voters. And this lack of transparency will only serve to further erode voters' trust in the process. But it's not too late to make an effort to rebuild that trust by opening up the process and inviting communities to engage in a meaningful manner. The state's Independent Redistricting Commission will need to submit new maps to the legislature by February 28th. In Syracuse, I'm Ava Pukach for the New York Public News Network. Thank you, Ava, and thank you to the New York Public News Network. Now on to Pennsylvania. Spotlight PA is an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit newsroom focused on investigative and public service journalism in Pennsylvania. Radio Catskill has partnered with them to bring you their in-depth journalism on a regular basis. And a recent article by Spotlight PA reporter Stephen Caruso says that the Pennsylvania legislature must reauthorize a law that shields people from winter utility shutoffs. It spurred a debate between consumer advocates and utilities about additional protections. Stephen Caruso of Spotlight PA is on the phone with us now to tell us more. Stephen, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. Happy to always join and talk. Can you tell us a bit about this law in question? Yeah, so this is um, a Pennsylvania state law, as you said, passed in 2004. And the goal of it at the time was basically to give utilities more ability to claw back um, money from people who owed them for electric services, for, for gas services. Um, the, the law doesn't entirely apply to water, but it can. But, um, and, and the, basically the back and forth was something along these lines that, that utilities, um, if somebody wasn't paying their bill, they could go to the uh, State Public Utility Commission to sort of try to hash it out. And the commission had a pretty wide jurisdiction to, to craft um, these long-running repayment plans. Like uh, some, I think, even made it 100 years. Uh, you know, I can't speak for why that was. That was something that came up in the hearing. And the idea of passing this law was that 
utilities would get the ability to, if they cut off service, basically only restart service once the bill had been fully paid. You know, this could be a bill for anywhere from, you know, 500 to 1,000 to maybe multiple thousands of dollars. Um, but it also did include a few consumer protections. And one of those was, as you mentioned, a moratorium on shutting off people's uh, heat or electricity in winter uh, from, I think they classify that under the bill from November 1st until, I believe, sometime in March. So, the general goal here was, you know, the industry gets some stuff they like, they can get some money back, and consumers get some protections. But they also, as is kind of common in legislatures, put this clause on it that, like, this will expire in 10 years, and then it has to be revisited. So it was reauthorized in 2014 when the Pennsylvania General Assembly was controlled by Republicans in both chambers, and there was a Republican governor. But it's now expiring again, and needs to be reauthorized. And now Pennsylvania is in this different position where Democrats control the House, Republicans control the Senate, and we have a Democratic governor. So consumer advocates are pushing, uh, and Democratic lawmakers in the House that are listening, to try to add more consumer protections to the bill. And that's kind of what we're looking at right now. So this law does have to be reauthorized by the end of the year, and it will be an interesting debate. Sounds like you're saying that the primary thrust of this law initially was designed to uh, help utility companies uh, collect unpaid bills, as you said, but there were those consumer protections. So even though people are looking to change it now, was that, in essence, a, a compromise at the time to try to make sure that it was doing some good on both sides of the, the, the billing ledger, both the consumer and the provider? Yeah, that's how those who were around for it described and those involved in the passage. It was meant to be that, that you know, back and forth. Actually, there's some other consumer protections in there. There's They did affirm the ability of a, of a consumer to dispute their bill if they wanted. There has to be notice before a shutoff. Like, the, the utility can't just come in and immediately, like, one day your lights go out. Um, you know, so there's some other limited protections. Um, a lot of them, I should say, also are income dependent. Um, the, it varies protection to protection, but uh, many of them are restricted to people who make under a certain amount of the poverty, uh, the, the federal poverty uh, uh, guidelines that they release every year. So it's mostly uh, for people who make maybe like 250 percent or less of, of the federal poverty guideline. That varies person to person, family to family, depending on how many kids there are, how many like you know folks are in the household. But um, you know, and, and Democrats' bill it, it would expand a lot of these. It would add all these protections to water. It would also notably um, it would uh, give uh, it would create a moratorium for summer shutoffs for just two months in the height of summer, July and August. Uh, you know that in particular was cited because of super high um, like you know costs of energy costs during uh, these hot, hot summers we're having. So the advocates want to give the PUC some extra ability to, like, you know, part of it was taking away the jurisdiction, but the advocates now want to give the PUC a little bit more ability to craft repayment plans because that, that whole, the, the thing that utilities got, that, you know, ability to force people to repay plus fees to get connections restarted for heat or electricity. Um, advocates are saying that's become a real burden, a real albatross for, for low-income consumers who more and more have to put more of their money into paying their energy bills. Okay, so getting the PUC involved, me, meaning that that would provide some structure to actually uh, help consumers more, the, the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission? Yeah, as the bill is, as the law is designed right now, basically once the PUC gives a uh, plan, uh, it's kind of one you have to stick with. And and the PUC would have a little bit more rare jurisdiction to maybe create a new plan if somebody fell behind for another reason. 
Um, it would also like let them, it would, I think it would let them kind of add like some longer timelines depending on someone's income. A lot, like I said, a lot of the bill is really dependent on how much money a household is making. But the general idea is low income families who studies have found, uh, you know, for, for example, a study cited by a local uh, legal advocate found that like are paying more and more of their, you know, monthly income into utilities, give them more flexibility so that, you know, they're not forced to choose between feeding themselves and keeping the lights on. What else are consumer advocates looking for? And uh, along those lines, uh, are consumer advocates looking for anything that Democrats aren't proposing in this uh, new bill? Um, they, I think there's definitely some, you know, attempts to go further. Uh, there would be, I think there's been a proposal for uh, banning some of those fees I mentioned, like a reconnection fee, late fees. Uh, but I believe some of that's in the bill. And I should add, too, that the state Senate, which is controlled by Republicans, they've been advancing a reauthorization bill that had no new consumer protections in it. So, And that was a bill sponsored by a Democrat. So I think we're really going to see a back and forth between consumers, utilities, and the, the Senate and the House over what this eventual bill looks like. But they do have some time. Are you hearing anything uh, specifically from the industry as uh, they push back on this? Yeah, it's it's mostly just that argument that, you know, people will take advantage of anything you give them. Uh, I think there's just a, a, a broad level of concern that, you know, say a summer moratorium would give another opportunity for people's bills to 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 expand to get to get uh you know to get higher with no attempt to repay them uh this was an argument they made over and over again was just that that argument of you know not uh not everyone is in good faith trying to pay their utility bill um i i should say that utility companies um like they've charged uh, according to some numbers from the puc they charge consumers about uh, i believe it was 12 billion dollars in uh or yeah, $12 billion for, uh, you know, electricity and heat uh, in uh, the most recent year the PUC had data. And of that, there was about 170, 180 million that was um, deemed not recoverable, like money that, you know, the bills where they said we're, we're, we've given up on trying to collect this. Um, so, you know, it, it's only a small portion of the amount of money that utilities are charging people and getting back in, in terms of utility bills. But they're saying it, you know, it is, could be meaningful for rate increases in the future. Okay. And that initial argument that you brought up is, is just, um, I just would like to point out that you can say, Hey, you know, people will take advantage of whatever you give them. Uh, the same thing can be said of, uh, corporations and industries <laughs> as well as individual people. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the point consumer advocates were making. You know, uh, you know, for instance, one of the speakers uh, who, who runs a, a utility, uh, like, a, like a law, a law group, a public interest law group that specifically helps people utility bills, pointed out, you know, she, uh, you know, she she got a, a frantic call right before Christmas last year from someone whose utility bill was cut off, and and you know, and she was able to correct that. But but you know, a lot of times for people who are choosing between, you know eating or keeping the lights on, that's a, that's a hard choice and not a choice that I think anybody wants to have to make. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's why advocates are in particular just excited to get a chance to try and rebalance the scales and see, you know, where could, uh, where could Pennsylvania offer some more protections and, you know, so, to make sure that somebody isn't drowning in a utility bill and, and maybe, you know, losing a really important uh, part of their, of their, you know, kind of home uh, in the process. Right. So uh, as the state House and Senate navigate uh, these negotiations, what do you see happening next? What are some potential outcomes? What should we watch for? 
I would say, you know, I, I'm just interested. It, it's very early on. I should say uh, the, the chairman, the Democratic chairman of the committee, State Rep. Rob Matsey, he's from Western Pennsylvania. You know, basically, he, he made no promises. He made no comment on where we are. He's like, we're going to have to sit down and have a conversation, and that's what I expect to happen. Um, I do think it's really interesting to note that the um, the Senate's bill to reauthorize this law, Act 14, uh, is or Chapter 14, um, is actually – sponsored by a Democrat, Senator Lisa Boscola from the Lehigh Valley. And I think I say that only because I think it's sort of this this whole debate to me is a real sign of what having Democrats control legislative chamber means. In the past, I'm sure a pretty clean reauthorization bill for this law that just had the current trade-off between the utilities and the consumer would have sailed through. Um, but now Democrats control a chamber. They are in charge of the committees. They, they set the agenda. They say yay or nay. And they're like, no, we should we should have a bigger conversation here. This has to be reauthorized. There's a ticking clock. Nobody's opposed to reauthorizing the law. Everybody agrees it's a good idea. Yeah, but like, why not try and go further? And I think that is what the main goal is, is, you know, just watching how that debate plays out between the Senate controlled by Republicans and the House controlled by Democrats. And then I should add, you know, our governor, uh, Josh Shapiro, who's a Democrat. Uh, I've gotten no sense of positions from anyone besides the House Democrats at this point. But, you know, it, it's an important topic. And as I said, it's a big money topic where, you know, we're talking billions of dollars in utility bills every year. And so everyone's going to want to, you know, have a piece of this conversation, I'm sure. Stephen, you wrote a, another article since this utility article that we're talking about. This one touches uh, on ramifications from uh, January 6th. Would you mind staying with us uh, after the break to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Okay. So we will be right back with a Spotlight PA reporter, Stephen Caruso. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Voters in New Hampshire are gearing up to cast their primary votes. Democrats will not see the incumbent, President Biden, on their ballot. What does it all mean for the 2024 race? I'm Asma Khalid. Join me and Ari Shapiro tonight for live special coverage of the New Hampshire Democratic and Republican primaries from NPR News. Election 2024. Get closer to the issues. Get closer to your vote. Tonight at 7 on Radio Catskill, your NPR station. Welcome back to the local edition. I'm Jason Dole, and we are talking to Spotlight PA reporter Stephen Caruso. Now we're going to talk about an ethics complaint that's been brought against uh, Doug Mastriano, uh, who is a state senator. And uh, this complaint was brought by uh, state senator Art Haywood against his colleague uh, Mastriano. And Stephen, you wrote this article. What's this ethics complaint about and what are some of the implications of it? Yeah, so the ethics complaint alleges uh, that who he is a uh, state senator from central Pennsylvania, a Republican. Um, he was first elected in 2019, um, and he really rose to prominence in 2020 uh, due to a mix of both his uh, opposition to COVID-19 pandemic mediation efforts like shutdowns and mass mandates, but also really in uh, after the 2020 election, he was a vocal uh, doubter of, of the results. Uh, he vocally uh you know, carried uh, President Donald Trump's arguments that the election was stolen. It was not. Um, and, and, you know, at one point, he even 
threw out a, uh, a number of mail-in ballots, just simply confusing the uh, the number of ballots cast in the primary with the general. So he, he was a leading proponent uh, in Pennsylvania of um, the, the attempt to, to overturn the election results. Um, he also, on January 6th, um, chartered buses using campaign funds to bring supporters down to D.C. He was there. Um, he, he went uh, out to the Capitol. Um, he did not the building. He said he left at the time. He might have gone a bit further onto the grounds than he claims. There's some debate over that, or there's been some video that found him going further past police lines. But all this to say, you know, he, he was part of the effort by President Trump to overturn the 2020 results. So this has been known for a while. And, and I should say that the, the complaint that was filed um, by Senator Haywood, as you mentioned, a Philadelphia Democrat, it, there isn't... As far as we've been told, because the whole ethics process is very secretive, um, there's nothing particularly new in there. It's just only using the public record, which is most of like pretty much what I just described to you. Uh, but the the, uh, the the what makes this significant is that the these complaints are rare. They're not often filed. There's a very set process for it, and it kind of throws the ball to the Senate as an institution to police their own in Mastriano's case. He was arguing that everything I described with Mastriano his efforts to overturn the election is him using his uh, you know, Senate-derived bully pulpit, that was Haywood's, uh, Haywood's term, to try and, you know, uh, corrupt our democracy, and that would go against the 14th Amendment, which says that you can't do, uh, you, you can't be an insurrectionist. So, uh, you know, and, and the rules, the Senate chamber rules are pretty clear that, you know, if you engage in behavior that violates the Constitution, you, you could be held liable by your colleagues. So now, you know, it has, like, these complaints are so rare, though, because the Senate especially in Pennsylvania. I think this is true for all Senates, but, you know, the Senate of Pennsylvania is a body that prides itself in trying to be collegial, uh, where things are settled before it becomes messy, uh, like, say, filing an ethics complaint. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, You know, I should note the timing is at the start of a big election here. This also puts Mastriano back in the news when he is bit of a not as a, he has people haven't paying as much attention to him recently uh he lost a gubernatorial election in 2022 and since then he hasn't been heard from as much he did ponder a run for our uh u.s senate seat but it's it's interesting to it'll be interesting to follow but it will be hard to follow because as i said this ethics process is confidential for the most part it's quiet and usually lawmakers do everything in their power in the upper chamber to uh prevent it from becoming a public matter yeah, well, along those lines, it's so kind of under the radar that that in the article you don't even know exactly what date this complaint was filed. So, how do you know what you do know about this? How did this come out? Well, so the, and that's where you know I, I point to it being an election year. Haywood himself had a press conference um, at the beginning of January, which just said, "I'm filing a complaint. It's based upon this report from Crew. This is the same group that's uh, in the, fighting the ballot challenge to Donald Trump." And the same exact argument, this argument that the 14th Amendment prevents somebody who, who, you know, committed treasonous conduct to the United States. I don't know the exact wording, but that's more or less the argument from being on the ballot. And if you're on the and so crew created this report to keep trying to get Trump off, and that's being litigated in Colorado. They also did a report targeting Mastriano. And so Haywood came out and had a press conference where he said, you know, because of this report, I'm going to file this ethics complaint because a lot of those same arguments that are being used in Colorado could be used in Pennsylvania against Mastriano under just the chamber's own rules. 
So he just had a press conference saying he was filing it. Um, we published our story when we did because, we, A, we want to find out more about the process. It's a seldom-used process, as I mentioned. It, it's sort of very wonky. It's, uh, but also because they would have just said he's going to file it. It took until you know two weeks, three weeks or so to figure out that he had, in fact, filed it. But as you noted, they wouldn't tell me when. They wouldn't give us a copy. All they said is it's based on this report, and we had the press conference to go off of. But I can tell you that according to Hala's office, it has been filed. It's not just a, we're going to file it. It has been done. It's a Republican-controlled Senate, uh, and uh, Senator Mastriano's been there since uh, before the 2020 election. He's been there in office since 2019, um, and they haven't done anything about this. So what's the likelihood that this even goes anywhere? This is basically being put at the Senate's feet. What's what's going to happen, if anything? It's really hard to tell. I mean, look, I can tell you that this committee is so seldom used. When I asked um, a spokesperson for the Senate Republicans for a list of members, there was an opening from a senator who had resigned in 2022. So I, I don't know. I, I, the process does require bipartisan support. Uh, you know, uh, so will Republicans support an effort to try and, you know, uh, investigate Mastriano? I don't know. I should also point out Mastriano put out a statement calling this whole investigation a witch hunt and calling it politically motivated that he would not be intimidated and brought up a, uh, I think, a favorite Republican comparison, simply saying, you know, well, what was Haywood's conduct like during the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests? You know, what did he say about police and, and protests, et cetera? So, you know, uh, that was that was Mastriano's tone. Otherwise, um, Republican leadership has mostly been quiet. I believe the Senate Majority Leader did put out a statement saying, you know, he saw it also as like a stunt, um, you know, to open up session. And, and I go back to it as an election year. And, you know, now I am talking about it. You know, a lot of people are talking about it. I think that, I, I you know, I, Mas, or, or Haywood, when asked about the timing, said it was just he, you know, it took time to get the report together to the way he was comfortable to file it. But I would simply say, like, you know, keep in mind that we are coming into a very important election year. And if there's one thing the Democrats are able to win on, it's often by citing these issues. I mean, it's abortion, but also January 6th, like bringing these up. It it does seem like it has some sway. I'm not saying it has all the sway in the world. I'm not saying there aren't other issues in the world. But, you know, I'm, I'm certainly keeping that in mind, because as you said, now it's kind of thrown to the feet of the state Senate, and I, it is hard to say what will happen. There's a lot of procedural maneuvers that could you know, potentially keep it from going forward, but getting information on them will be quite hard. And, and I think, it, as, as I said, too, it would, it, it, it's, it's tricky because the whole point of this committee, the whole point of an ethics committee is you want to keep it quiet so it can do its work. But, you know, you, and you don't want to politicize it because the ideal would be that you enforce the rules to kick out bad actors. And, uh, you know, that hasn't happened. That that, that doesn't happen that often. Um, you, you let us know uh, what Doug Mastriano's response is. Are any of his Republican or Democratic colleagues uh, stepping up to defend him after uh, Haywood announced this? No, no, mostly it's been quiet. Um, you know, I, I, and I, I do just want to go back to, you know, I, I don't think I really clearly stated that, you know, the, the consequences of this complaint were the, were the committee, the ethics committee, to go forward and do it. 
they could range from just a slap on the wrist, like a censure, you know, or just like a, you know, don't do that again, to expulsion. But, you know, that's where I say, like, expulsion is very rare. We were actually, um, I was able to get in touch with the Brennan Center in New York City, uh, who, who have did a report on expulsions. Pennsylvania has only expelled four people since uh, the 1700s when our state legislature, I think since the, since the U.S. Constitution, more or less, was uh, put into place. And of them... Um, mostly for fraud, or one was for spitting on a fellow state legislator. Um, and so it, it doesn't happen that much. Uh, and, you know, I, I think everyone's just being quiet because there's just this, I, I would say, covering the Capitol, there's a sort of this mutually assured destruction. There, There's agreement that there are bounds. There is agreement that there are things you can't do. But I think, you know, when it comes to policing behavior, there's always a concern of, well, if you go too hard after our members on this, we'll go hard after your members on that. And you risk everything becoming a tit for tat. I think the Senate in particular has tried to avoid this. As I mentioned, they view themselves as a collegial body. Uh, Senator Kim Ward, the president pro tempore of the body, even said, you know, this is a nice place to work. We love each other here. Uh, On the very day Haywood had filed his complaint in a speech opening up session. So, like, they take that seriously. I think the Senate takes that charge of we, we are here to legislate and work with each other seriously. So this is really a big wrinkle in that. And cause this is, you know, obviously it's an issue that's not going away and it's an, it's an important issue. It's about our, our democracy. And uh, I don't know where that leads. All I know is it'll probably be pretty hard to get anyone to tell me. <laughs> Steven, I want to thank you for going over all of these uh, stories with us. Do you, uh, can you give us any kind of a sneak preview of what you're working on next? Um, well, yeah, uh, working on some stuff about transit funding uh, in Pennsylvania, and I mean, it's going to be a state, it's going to be a national, nationwide issue. But uh, a lot of transit agencies are facing funding cliffs and trying to look into what Pennsylvania is going to do about it. All right. Well, good luck on that, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. Thank you. And again, that was Stephen Caruso of Spotlight PA. Both of his articles that we talked about are up now at wjffradio.org. Utility shutoff protections in Pennsylvania, as well as the January 6th ethics complaint against Doug Mastriano. They're at WJFFradio.org, and Spotlight PA is at SpotlightPA.org. Well, that's it for the local edition. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Stay with us, because coming up after the daily, we have live special coverage of the New Hampshire primary from NPR. Election 2024 on Radio Catskill. Get closer to the issues. Get closer to your vote. Support for Radio Catskill comes from JeffWorks Office Solutions, located right on Main Street in Jeffersonville, New York, a newly renovated pet-friendly office space that rents by the day, week, or month with hot desks, sound-insulated rooms, Wi-Fi, modern amenities, and 24-hour secure access. Online at jeffworksjville.com. And from The Cooperage Project, thecooperageproject.org. And listeners like you who donate at 